Well, here we are, first Thursday of the month again. It's time for our monthly chat with Springfield Mayor Jim Langfelder. A lot to get to, so let's jump right into it. Mayor, good afternoon. Thanks so much for being here. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Always appreciate your time. I want to dive right in with a story that uh, came up yesterday, the Illinois Municipal League uh, putting forward uh, a, a series of proposals on ways to deal with the police and fire pension uh, mm-hmm. problem that a lot of communities have, Springfield among them, that has a significant unfunded pension liability there. And so they have uh, several different alternate proposals that basically boil down to consolidating all these individual municipal pension funds for police and fire into one big fund, maybe under the umbrella of the IMRF that already handles uh, other city employee retirement, maybe as some other entity, but basically consolidating it. The idea being that uh, there'd be less overhead, less administrative cost, uh, and uh, hopefully a greater return on investment. It would also mean less local control over those funds, though. Uh, your, Your spokesperson said that you are in favor of this idea. <laughs> so uh, so let me uh, p- uh, ask you a little bit more detail about it. Why why would you think this would be a good idea? Well, actually, this was an idea that had been floated through the Illinois Municipal Treasurers Association, which I was part of, uh, you know, a few years back. And IML has been the, uh, really the champion of trying to get change with uh, addressing pension uh, liabilities on behalf of the uh, cities or the unfunded liabilities. And so really what this would do is be similar to what you had said, IMRF, which is one of the best, if not the best, funded uh, pension system in the state. And, you know, that's what cities use with all our other employees with regards to that. So from that standpoint, it makes sense. Plus there's flexibility on the investments, what you can invest in. Uh, They have more flexibility than what's currently allowable by law. Uh, And the up markets, you invest in the equities more, and then you can switch it to fixed income if you need to protect the investments. And so they've had uh, greater rates of return, I would believe, through having done the comparison year to year. But for the most part, they've seen uh, better returns. But it would cut down on some of the administrative costs associated with it. So it runs similarly to what IMRF does now. Uh, and it's, you know, professionally run um, board, not saying the other ones aren't, but it's more centralized. And uh, that's, you know, what their expertise is in. You do have local control now mm-hmm. over the police and fire pension boards here, and you would give that up uh, under mm-hmm. this scenario there. That doesn't that doesn't concern you at all? No, really. Uh, I think it's time's right to make it happen uh, and really how do we make ends meet and really what the pension funds for is to make sure that we can meet that obligation to the future for our current uh, police and uh, firefighters and the ones that have already retired and then of course future ones as they come on so I think it's a step in the right direction and you know IMRF has a great track record and uh, so I have my full confidence uh, with regards to that so really what you're getting giving up is uh, right now it's Marquette Associates or that's what it was when I was treasurer they'd oversee and be the consulting uh, party with regards to the investments and handle those on behalf of the pension board and then I do get two appointees which is Trek McCarty and uh, Ken Crutcher and then there's three uh individuals associated with the union so that piece would go away Uh, they may still have some local aspect with regards to voting on items but the management of the investments would uh, go under imrf like we have with our current structure would would this uh you know if if this is able to pass this year this session Mm -hmm. uh would this mean any savings at all to the city in the current fiscal year or in future years or is it just essentially the same cost with uh better likelihood that you can shore up the gaps in in the pension funding yeah i'd probably have to have uh director mccarty run the numbers i would think there'd be some savings uh how much that would be 
time would tell. Uh, really, what you'd have to calculate in is the time savings as well. Uh, so that'd be the piece of it. But really, the most important factor is your ability to be flexible or have that uh, ability to uh, with the asset allocations, the investments, you, like I said, in the up markets, it gives you the flexibility to uh, take advantage of that uh, with equities. And then in the downtime, you could, you know, uh, put more or, you know, have a better plan of attack with regards to putting them in ex- uh, fixed income investments. And so it just would help in the long run with the overall return. While we're on the subject then of public safety, uh, let's talk about the police department. Uh, mm-hmm. Since the last time we talked, we had a study that came out of the ACLU of Illinois looking at traffic stop data that had gotten from uh, uh, from the state uh, and indicating uh, something that has cropped up in the past as well. Mm-hmm. We've seen this before. Uh, the, the, the numbers appear to show minority drivers being pulled over disproportionately and, and being asked to have their vehicles searched disproportionately compared to uh, not only just the the overall uh, percentage of those minority groups in the population, but also really compared to the likelihood of finding anything, that mm-hmm. even though minority drivers more often pulled over and more often asked to be searched, they were less likely to actually be found with, with contraband or, or some violation that would require police intervention. Um, your, your thoughts on that? I mean, is, is this a problem or is it just part and parcel of, of what it takes to, to police in the modern day in a city like Springfield? Well, I talked to uh, police chief previously, uh, not necessarily about this report, uh, but uh, other reports had come out before. And, you know, I brought it up about that. And he goes, well, when an officer is pulling someone over, really, especially when you have tinted windows or just windows, when you pull someone over from behind, especially, you really don't know who, you know, what their ethnicity is necessarily. Uh, but it depends if, you know, the, uh, you know, if the, if they're, they may have license plates that they're, you know, aware of or something of that nature. I'm not sure, but it'd be having a good discussion with the chief. You know, he's the expert that I would rely upon. But we are uh, meeting with Ken Page uh, with, uh, you know, he's a member of NAACP as well as the AS, uh, ACLU, I believe. Yeah. And so we are going to have that discussion. And, uh, you know, are there, you know, what's the what's gone into the numbers? And I can speak to the crime analysis in itself. I know with the Department of Justice, we seem to report on a exponential nature of uh, crime, uh, just be how we report our data. You know, we're pretty thorough in that where other communities aren't as thorough. And so that kind of skews the numbers, so to speak. Uh, So that's something that you'd really have to have that uh, apples to apples comparison. And uh, Chief Winslow has been working on the numbers with regards to the crime stats, but I'm not sure how that would flow into the overall uh, you know, stops that you're referring to. but It also mm-hmm. goes along with, in, with the same backdrop of the uh, study that came out. We talked about this a few weeks back with Governing Magazine, and they've actually reprinted it today in the Illinois Times right. uh, about Springfield as a segregated community and mm-hmm. actually more segregated than even a lot of uh, comparable cities in the Deep South. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you, you talked to the magazine a, a, about this, uh, so let me get your, your thoughts on that. Uh, are, what, what do those numbers show from, from where you sit, and is this a problem that, that needs to or even can be addressed. Well, it needs to be addressed, uh, and this is a subject matter I'm more familiar with because in my banking days I did uh, CRA, Community Reinvestment. Uh, for those that might not know, uh, in banking, the banks, I think it was in the late 70s, they passed the Community Reinvestment Act because banks were accused of redlining. They draw red lines around poor neighborhoods as an indicator not to lend in those areas. So they came up with it where the banks would have to do outreach, make sure there's no discrimination going on with regards to loans, and uh, making sure that uh, a large percentage of your loans are being made within your service area. And so uh, with that, I'm the one that went in and developed programs for the low moderate income areas. And when they 
this is with job loss and with population and this type of report. They say Springfield MSA. What they're talking about is Sangamon and Menard County. That's the metropolitan statistical area. So it's a, you know, it's that region. Uh, and so really the corporate limits of Springfield, when you look at the income uh, gap, and that's what I was asked upon, I know, by the local uh, media with regards to that. And I said, well, I'd be surprised it's that high. I was, I was shocked because it was like $40,000 difference on a family of four. And uh, what they did figure in is all the pockets like Leland Grove. They And I think the report even said Leland Grove uh, earns twice the amount of a regular average citizen within the corporate limits of Springfield. So that does change numbers. But most importantly, how do you close that gap? Because we want everybody with uh, living wage jobs, and how do you make that happen? And it really has to happen through economic development. And the areas, you know, let's face it, we just uh, uncovered a site from the 1908 race riots along the track. So, you know, that's the barrier, the physical barrier that was uh, deemed as a, uh, a section. I think other cities have rivers on the other side of the river and things of that nature. So uh, what will happen or what will change is that one is the 10th Street Railway have more underpasses, so you have more accessibility. But the intermodal hub that we're going through right now, that's going to, it's my understanding, it'd be uh, built on both sides, so you'll have development on both sides. What we're trying to do from the city standpoint is ex- extend the east side tip all the way to the track so we it gives us that injection of tiff dollars to really make some uh, changes with development and uh, those are our opportunity areas where private sector can invest funds at a tax deferred rate so uh, the, the one development that they talked about in the report was poplar place and everybody that's been around springfield for a long time it used to be evergreen terrace right. and speaking of the crime that was probably one of our uh, high crime areas and so we kind of had to force the developer uh we took him to court based on the roads it's a, a planned unit development that means the developer owns the roads well there's a dispute on that but they're terrible the roads are awful and so we forced it to court uh, where they would have to repair the roads, and we've had meetings with them. And in those conversations, you know, they brought all the nice properties around the country that they have. And I said, that's what we want Poplar Place to look at like. And so we, they have submitted a IDA application or on the process of doing a $20 million, uh, you know, renovation changing duplexes to single-family housing. But that's how you have to do it uh, is project by project changing those areas. But it all comes down to the dollars. How do you have that influx of funds to change those areas of uh, town that are need the help as much as possible? You know, we, we've talked about this mm-hmm. before, and uh, I, I've been – covering these issues for more than 20 years and it seems like it's always the same thing it's just it is it is hard to attract Mm -hmm. the capital into Mm -hmm. these areas that have higher crime higher poverty rates etc and it seems like it's just this ongoing vicious circle and it's not just the the income disparity Uh, they did the uh, the community uh, health uh, assessment Mm -hmm. through uh, uh, st john's memorial and found the life expectancy is also dramatically lower on the east Mm -hmm. side of springfield than in some of those west side Mm -hmm. neighborhoods too um you know and to, to say we do a project by project is is one thing, but how do we light a fire under some of these projects? How do we actually attract that capital that seems to time and time again for decades just not be there uh, in, in any reasonable way to to get a development going that could actually turn around some of these neighborhoods? Well, the one that turned it around for John Hay Homes, remember the John Hay Homes was uh, they had a I think it was a Hope Six grant uh, where a lot of it came from federal funds and moved that direction. Well, uh, Poplar is similar to that. That will uh, transpire if Ida you know, comes through. That will be a $20 million change. And there are property owners in the area going back to the TIF 
there is a you know there's still homeowners in there and we're uh, we put aside funds for home improvements and that's really how you can change areas through home ownership uh, we have a lot of vacant properties and that's what we'll work with TSP hope uh, to try to move those back on the tax rolls but uh, really what it comes down to and I'll use poplar because that's the up-and-coming one um, if you can change that dynamic, that will help change that whole area. It's by Channel 20. It's near Withrow School. And, um, you know, so that has a that will change that area significantly. One I did help with when back in my banking days, King's Court Project. And uh, Pastor Doss, he's a great developer, especially for East Side projects. Uh, he has Abundant Faith Christian Center on uh, Taylor Avenue and the Senior Center. Um, he's doing King's Court. And we partnered way back when uh, in my banking days and now we're going back through to do a redo and the city's helping with that but really uh once you do it piece by piece it will build up and the one that uh, is moving will move more exponentially it's been added a long time as zenith park uh you know they had the same situation happening of course the metal community is close by so it's building up but uh you, we've supported the springfield art association they have the visual or the um arts visual center uh there where they do glass blowing it just opened up with that you can go glass blowing um in the summer that is jewelry making pottery things right and so that whole campus area is set up with edwards when the ymca moves over there on fourth and carpenter that's going to change that whole area because now you have two large employers you have a health facility and it borders downtown and enos park and it's just what's going to happen after that you're going to have a I believe it'd be, um, you know, housing, you know, apartment uh, housing being constructed just because of that population. But on the east side, you know, that's what has to happen. And really the corridors of South Grand and 11th Street, that's the importance of the rail corridor being built on both sides and uh, developing both sides of that. So it's a lot of pieces coming together. Uh, Of course, it takes a little longer than everybody would like, but uh, that's the direction we're moving towards. Earlier today, the Illinois Senate approved a minimum wage wage increase that will eventually take the state's wage up to $15 an hour by the year 2025. If that is also approved by the House in that same form, it will be signed into law by Governor J.B. Pritzker. Uh, Mayor, some of the debate on this proposed minimum wage hike uh, focused on the impact on local governments and that it could drive up uh, costs there for a lot of uh, communities and governmental entities, among others. Uh, and there are concerns that it could actually cause some businesses to close. From your perspective, is this good news or bad news, the uh, the notion that our minimum wage is likely going up pretty extensively here in Illinois? Well, what needs to take a look at is $15 in Chicago is uh, different from $15 in Springfield. So I think they're should be a locality factor with regards to that because one of the good things with Springfield we are an affordable place to live and that's across the country so I think that should be taken in consideration but with regards to the minimum wage it's been 10 years so it's understandable that there needs to be an increase in what's that appropriate amount so I think that all needs to be taken in consideration so uh, for us you know a lot of it would be uh, summer help I think that's that's going to be the difficulty in that is uh, with regards to young people coming back from college, you know, haven't been able to find that part-time job. I'm not sure how that would uh, work out. I think the larger stores, of course, can shoulder it. But it's my understanding. I think there's going to be some relief for uh, employees that have or employers that have less than 50 employees. So I think they'll be uh, taken in consideration where it help provide some relief with the grudge that. But the ultimate goal, I think, is you know 
works out where, you know, you want individuals to be able to hopefully work one job and not multiple jobs to make ends meet. Do you have any idea how many of those uh, uh, part-time minimum wage summertime workers the city would employ on an annual basis? Uh, Usually it's around 20 or so, but uh, for ourselves, the other side of it is, of course, you're raising that baseline up. And so even though I think we might have a few people that might fall into that right now as current employees, but then now the baseline's moved up. And then so that would be the uh, challenge that other I've talked to restaurant owners that say, well, I pay a premium now to keep my employees. That's how I keep them happy in that. So they're paying maybe right at 15 right now. So once that goes into effect, now they're equal to everybody else. So that's going to bump them up higher. So it does have that domino impact. And uh, the phase in approach is good. Uh, but really, you have to take a look at that locality and uh, really what, you know, balance it out with regards to uh, $15. Like I said, in Chicago is totally different from $15 here. Welcome back. We're continuing our talk with Mayor Jim Langfelder. He is live in studio with us. Uh, just a couple of weeks back, the mayor delivered the annual State of the Downtown speech at the DSI Awards Banquet, uh, and a lot that was laid out there. But uh, one thing you didn't really actually bring up during your speech uh, in any great detail was the North Mansion Y Block. But as it turns out, we've seen some things happen mm-hmm. since then. Uh, Senator Andy Menar has put forward a bill to try to put an SIU Carbondale uh, satellite campus into downtown Springfield. Mm-hmm. ideally uh, somewhere near the North Mansion wine block. And UIS is still indicating it wants to have a downtown presence as well. We're going to have to use that block to actually have a rumble between <laughs> these two schools to see who gets downtown dominance. And Maybe a tug of war. <laughs> is, is, is this in, in any way uh, making you kind of rethink your plans? Could that just be a, a, a big just higher education block mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. really is entirely geared toward the needs of the modern-day college student and, and commuter student? Wouldn't that be awesome? But I did mention at the uh, DSI, and you know, when I said there'd be some type of university presence, and it drew a little bit of a chuckle there. Yeah. And so, uh, fast forward a week or so later, and then uh, we appreciate the leadership of Senator Menar. And you know, I've carved out that corner for future development, which uh, I always wanted the university presence. So, uh, whether it's SIU or UIS or both, that'd be great uh, because that's what needs to happen when we're compared to other communities. They all, a lot of them have downtown or downtown university presence, and that would really be transformational to Springfield. The complimentary one, of course, is the school law, which has been wanted for decades and decades. You know, even when I was going downtown to UIS at that time, Sangamon State University. And so, but uh, UIS, Chancellor Cook has the interest. They've been looking downtown. The block was one of the locations, but both universities will have to do their due diligence and see what the best fit for them is. And uh, not only for them, but for Springfield. And with SIU, we'd you know be operating more as a feeder, I would think, with Carbondale that would help in both directions. And then also with UIS, bolster their presence uh, and their footprint with Springfield as well. Seems like if you uh, could somehow work both of those institutions mm-hmm. into that area, suddenly that, that seems like it opens up a lot of possibilities on mm-hmm. that block for things that are really targeted to that demographic. And whether it's, uh, you know, restaurants and night mm-hmm. spots, uh, an Apple store that's selling the latest mm-hmm. technology for, for law students and for, for UIS students and things. Uh, so I, I guess what I'm wondering is, is the, the green space concept with maybe just a corner carved out there, would that still be the best idea if you have that kind of a university and multiple universities present in that area? Or does this become more of a, of a real potential revenue generator to have a lot of businesses mm-hmm. geared to that demographic? Well, or or housing right. or, or 
but, but well, with the uh, university, I think what they were looking at, uh, UIS is a uh, public affairs, you know, expert. I mean, that's their expertise, public affairs. So being close to the capital makes sense. But as importantly, you know, they uh, they're the first hub of the Discovery Network partnership through the University of Illinois uh, system, and so uh, you know that's the uh, partnership with Innovate Springfield with the UIS the chamber or, and the city of Springfield and land of Lincoln economic development council. So the blocks, you know, shovel ready, we're ready. So whatever would transform, we're not going to be locked in on one idea over the other. Really it's how do we bring the uh, best project forward and make it happen. So that's the importance of carving out or putting in the capital bill, $50 million uh, within that for the SIU uh, presence within a mile of, I think it's going to be a mile of SIU, um, SIU med school, right, yeah. right, and then the other side of it is, I think uh, UIS has 15 million or near that amount carved out by the other initiative. But we'll work with both universities, make it happen. Especially since you know you can't spell UIS without SIU, right? <laughs> and so, uh, with regards to that, we're we're going to be flexible like we have been uh, because we want the right project on that block. And everybody goes, well, it's going to be a park. Well, it was going to be the ability to be flexible with that fourth street development happening. Uh, but I think whatever happens on there, you'll still have water features, things of that nature, because that will be uh, bring everything together and be complementary to the bicentennial plaza that connects Lincoln's home to the mansion. But you were working on this a year ago, mm-hmm. and it's a year later, right. and we're mm-hmm. still kind of in limbo on this. Uh, are we looking at another year or longer to finally have a, a, a plan and a direction and, and the ability to move forward? Oh, I think our percentages are higher when it gets to the capital bill. If there's uh, money carved out for SIU, it gets even exponentially higher. And that's what it comes down. It's always been the resources. Doesn't matter what the project is. It's always the financial resources. And the university systems, they rely on state budget. So what's lagged behind, you know, uh, we go back to not having a state budget. It was very detrimental, not only for the medical community and our economics with the regards to Springfield, but also the university system. And so I think that's the importance of the capital bill. It's the way for the states to start supporting some of the initiatives that suffered through the uh, lack of action under those years. I want to go back to some of the other things you talked about in the state of the downtown speech. Uh, one of my first days on the air almost a quarter century ago, uh, I either did a news story on or talked on the air about synchronized stoplights it was a huge topic a quarter of a century ago it was like deja vu all over again you were talking about stoplight <laughs> synchronization at the, uh, the state of the downtown i know we got a, a public hearing uh, coming up that was supposed to be uh, a week or so back but with the weather it got postponed right. uh so what does stoplight synchronization look like in the year 2019 in downtown springfield well, a lot better now than it did back then uh before it's always by hand timing things of that nature the current or what we're moving towards is a centrax system uh, Nate Bottom can explain it better than I, but really it's moving to the technology where it's uh, computer-driven, where you'll be able to command or control the lights through the keyboards. And, you know, you've seen them in other towns where the lights might be flashing in the middle of the night, things of that nature, uh, but it'll allow that flexibility. Why we start on downtown first is because those lights have seen their life expectancy. So uh, they need to be replaced. And if you're going to move in that direction, now's the time to do it. So uh, this upcoming year we do have it 
within the budget uh, a portion of that, but it's going to be phased in because it's a very expensive process. But it's the way we want to go and that we need to go with regards to synchronization and moving in that direction. And you've talked for a long time, too, about wanting to revamp some of the traffic patterns mm-hmm. downtown, take some of the one-way streets and make them two-way. Right. Uh, it seems like if you're going to be changing the lights and light patterns, that should be co- uh, coordinated Right, that's with all part that. of the discussion. And so, really, the open house that you referred to is uh, traffic modernization discussion. But part of that, of course, is uh, turning one ways to two ways. How does that fit into the whole plan? Uh, the ones that you would do immediately would be 4th and 7th Street uh, if it comes to that conclusion. And then the other part of it is uh, can you have more uh, bike lanes throughout downtown? And uh, we just did the bike share program that was passed by the city council so thank you very much a lot of thanks to adina revis uh, she works with public works and with our bicycle commission that really lifted that and got it to that potential but that bike share program that's one of the the presenters said you know we were in charleston that's their home office and they weren't a bikeable community downtown they were one of the worst in the country well they changed that dynamic so all those pieces fit together with it's all coming together all at the proper time to make that happen but that by the way that public hearing is going to be on february 20th. 20th. That's a Wednesday mm-hmm. evening down at Lincoln Library. Correct. correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you can uh, check that out. Uh, since you brought up the bike share program, I was going to as well. We tried this back under Mayor Hesera, and it became kind of a, a punchline. You know, those yellow bikes. The yellow bikes. Just, yeah, I still uh, you know, remember them. And they, they didn't last for very long. Mm-hmm. Uh, why is this different? Why will will this be more, more popular? And, you know, again, since you brought up the bike lanes, because we know what happened when we added bike lanes on 2nd Street and right. people's heads exploded. Right. This is still very much a car-driven town, as no much doubt. as we say we want to make it bicycle-friendly, there's an awful lot of people behind the wheels of motorized four-wheel vehicles mm-hmm. that are, 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 I'm sure, gnashing their teeth right now thinking about that. Oh, so. I, I'm one of those people, <laughs> the four-wheelers. Uh, but with regards to the yellow bike, that was uh, driven by government. Uh, this is the private sector driving it, and uh, you know they perfected it, and uh, so they understand that process. So private sector can do things uh, more effectively, especially with this, uh, you know, they they do earn a profit off of this, so people will pay for that. So that's why this will be successful um, with regards to that. And then uh, with regards to the bike lanes, I think on the second street, it happened all at once. I would have thought you would come up one lane and then down the other one. So I think what could have happened is you go uh, south on second street and come north on fourth street. And so you're not disrupting uh, traffic on one street, and especially being outside one of your largest employers, the Capitol, I think that's what happened on that particular street. And now what you have is I think it's working because people are avoiding going there. I think that's what it's turned out to be. So that all have to come into play, with, and that's the importance of going to the forum, sharing your opinion, and then uh, allowing the engineers trying to work through those traffic flow pr- patterns and determining what's the best uh possible proposal what you're telling people is you've learned a lesson from the mistakes of the past and wouldn't try to do it the same way again <laughs> correct i think that's what you, you know we always try strive for a better tomorrow and that's what it's all about i'm big on self-critique how can we improve uh items and this is long before i was here but that's what you look at i think that's the value of learning from your history you know what didn't work well what worked well and what worked well you keep what didn't you try to improve upon on the one hand while you're talking about making it more bike friendly on the other hand you've also got a program to make it a little easier for those of us with cars to come downtown. There's at least a pilot program for some, dare I say it, free parking <laughs> Novel in idea. downtown Springfield. Except four-letter word, free. Uh, you know, and this is this is limited, but mm-hmm. what what? where do you see this going if, if this pilot program works? Well, what made this possible is the Salvation Army moved to Gold's Gym and that freed up uh, a 
changing of the properties along that corridor. So SMTD was put in the proper spot. Uh, Horse Man owns the property now across directly across from them for potential expansion. The, and we're talking county. about again along 11th right. Street where so the Salvation moved, Army would have been. Correct. Now it's going to be the SMTD off-street right. transfer center. And that's how all those pieces came together as a difficult lift. We got it together. But Capitol, the buses off Capitol Avenue finally were able to move, and now they're on the uh, 10th Street corridor, and it's a lot safer. It's uh, for a safer environment for those riders. But that's freed up the opportunity for parking along Capitol Avenue, and that's what we're going to try out is that two-hour time limit for free parking. And let's keep in mind, you know, people talk about the meters all the time. Meters are put in place to move traffic along because we have a large population of employees downtown. And what we don't want is people just, you know, playing that game where they go block to block parking downtown. Uh, that's why the meters are there to move the traffic along So for our retailers and our restaurants. And, uh, and that's the whole purpose. But what's nice is Anchors Away, you know, they're right there. They've been suffering not having enough parking. So this will help uh, for entities in that particular area and that gives us the opportunity to use it as a pilot and see how successful it is uh, especially if there needs to be additional enforcement if if it's successful if people you find people parking down there and taking advantage of that do you look to expand free parking uh, on the street to other parts of downtown? I think what we would take a look at is uh, on the borders. I, I'm, you know, really in the heart of downtown, you really have to move that traffic. So uh, that's an area we are continuing to look at. Um, I did bring a meter uh, proposal previously. I'll probably wait till after the election to do that. But I think uh, that's an assessment. I rely on the experts of Public Works to really make that determination of what's the proper um, areas to have metered parking, and uh, that's what this will allow us to do to assess that. The one big thing that we're partnering with downtown Springfield on uh, through our agreement is to assess all the open parking lots that we have and use them in the off hours. So if there's a, uh, a concert or festival downtown, we should assess can we use other surface lots uh, where individuals can go and park at the nighttime activities and vice versa during the daytime when they're not being utilized. And that's uh, we have plenty of surface parking. Uh, we just need to maximize it as much as possible. This is the area on Capitol down along 4th and 5th Street uh, uh, down right. there, correct, that would have been the bus transfer station. Other parts of Capitol Avenue used to have on-street parking, and that all right. went away because of the beautification project, which you announced is going to be extending down 5th and 6th Street uh, between Monroe and, and Jefferson in that area. Mm-hmm. So were you going to be chewing up even more on-street spots uh, in the same way it happened on Capitol Avenue? No, the beautification was more towards Springfield Green, and I know that was the Capitol Avenue aspect, but it'd be more for planters and greenery uh, to, uh, you know, have that um, kind of like that walkable corridor where you uh, direct people through landscape design, things of that nature, and beautifying downtown in the process. So that's uh, what I was referring to, but we'll take a look at that through the whole traffic modernization, um, you know, because does there need to be a slowing down of traffic? We have the Bicentennial Plaza, and that's on 5th Street, and, you know, there's a lot of heavy traffic being used there, so does that need to be slowed down or not? And that's what will transpire through this whole process, but with the beautification, it's more towards having planters and flowers, similar to what you have on Capitol Avenue, and that's where a lot of people stop to take pictures just because of the beauty of that uh, walkable corridor, and that's what we want through all of downtown. Just a couple of minutes left with Springfield Mayor Jim Langfelder. We mentioned the upcoming uh, public meeting on February 20th about downtown traffic flow, stoplights, etc. But there's sort of an open house going on tonight about a, a project along Walnut uh, right, Street. Walnut, here, Mayor. Uh, public safety street improvements, and that's an uh, open house. You can just stop by uh, the uh, church right there on the corner of South Grand and 
South uh, South Crane and Walnut. Okay, right, and, right. Uh, and this is a project that will deal with is this like uh, sidewalks, crosswalks, right? And the uh, they're going to include bike lanes as well. So it's okay. at the Methodist Church. Will this there. involve a widening then of, of Walnut? Or I uh, believe so. Uh, actually, I haven't looked at the plan. I was planning on stopping by there myself and right. taking a look at the overall. Well, if you start heading project. that direction, maybe you run into the mayor as you walk in the door there this <laughs> evening, as that is a getting underway. Uh, real quick before we let you go, only a minute or so left, but. Um, you took part with the county board chairman, Andy Van Meter, mm-hmm. on the discussion on Capital Township. The county would like to take over uh, Capital Township operations. I know that uh, you uh, would like the city to be involved in that. And you've talked about maybe some sort of uh, an agreement working jointly with the county. Do you think you're going to be able to work something out, or is this going to have to be uh, duked out on the, the floor of the Illinois General Assembly to uh, to come to a conclusion on this? Well, I don't think they'll be duking out at the state house. Uh, they'd rather have it, right, speaking. Right, that's right. But they wanted us to wrap it up ourselves locally, and we'll move towards that. I think it's time that it would be uh, subsided in one, preferably the city, but it's the number one goal is to provide property tax relief for our residents. And it was a hot topic in the automatic form yesterday, and some people are switching their position, but really it needs, there's duplication of services and a large uh, portion of their uh, expenses goes towards the county operations already. So they're subsidizing it. So, but in any event, it needs to be uh, really uh, done away with and consolidated with uh, the city, preferably. But if not, we should be able to work out an agreement with the county with the proper oversight in partnership with the city. Because we had we had a city council discussion the animal control issues that right. we've had. They serve the city, and we're having issues with it. So this is no different because uh, Capital Township is within the city of Springfield borders. Mayor, keep us posted on that. In the meantime, thanks very much for your time. We appreciate it. We'll look forward to talking to you again real soon. Sounds good.